Well, Merry Almost Christmas, church. It's the best time of the year, is it not? The best time of the year? And it couldn't come at a better time, right? The opportunity that we have to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, to come together as a family, to come together as a church and celebrate the hope that is ushered into our lives through Jesus, right in the middle of our busy, hectic, distracted, and chaotic lives. It could not come at a better time. My name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the church, and I work with our family ministry. And so this morning, it gives me great joy to see families here and worship together. I know online right now there are families in the comfort of their own home, pajamas, coffee, breakfast, whatever. I'm not trying to get you jealous in the room. I'm just saying that's probably what's going on. We're thankful that you're tuned in this morning as well, and it brings me great joy to know both of those things. And last weekend, who came and joined us for the Christmas musical? It's not an amazing experience. I love coming to a musical like that and hearing classic Christmas songs. Yes, sorry, I didn't mean to cover up the clapping. I'm very thankful for a great experience last weekend. And when I hear classic Christmas songs like that, every single time it takes me back to like my childhood. Anybody, there's like one Christmas song and you hear it and as soon as you hear it, you're like transported back to when you were a little annoying kid at Christmas, so excited about everything that was going on. And for me, last week, hearing some of those songs took me right back to being a kid, going to my grandparents' house every single year for Christmas. So I want to show you a little bit what that looked like, going to my grandparents' house at Christmas. So the, the youngster with the, the brown and the black sleeves right there opening that crazy box, that's yours truly. All at my grandparents' house with my cousins and everything, there was a certain experience that we had coming in to Christmas because my grandfather, you'd experience the temperature difference from outside to inside immediately because he always stoked the fire. Yeah, I'm excited. Stoked the fire down in the basement to make sure it was 117 degrees inside the house. Look, shining my face, my cousin's face, my uncle's face. Everybody's got an annoying kid like that in their family, right? We would go to my grandparents' house, and you would experience that difference right away. My grandpa had a grizzly furnace in the basement. would just throw all kinds of wood in it. So you'd walk in and be sweating immediately, carrying all the gifts inside the house. My grandmother always had a Christmas tree with blue lights, blue lights and like silver tinsel. And I didn't know anybody else that had a tree like that. And so I loved coming in and seeing in the living room that tree. In the kitchen, there was fresh baked cookies every single time. My grandmother, she loved me the best, don't tell my cousins, but she loved me and she would make cookies without chocolate chips because I have a thing with chocolate chips. And so she'd make some just special for me. I'd smell them when I'd walk in the room. There was probably a cheese log somewhere around in the house. I mean, it was an amazing experience. I loved going to my grandparents' house for Christmas. And my cousins, I'm from a place called Indiana. We have something called snow. I'm not sure if you've ever actually heard of it down here, but it's white, it's cold, and, and it would snow. And so my cousins and I, we would go sledding. We would have snowball fights. We would enjoy being with each other. And when I think back as a kid to my grandparents' house, enjoying being home for Christmas, when I think about that, there was a certain feel that I had because it was wild. I mean, the house was loud. There was a ton of things going on. But if I'm honest, it was a lot of fun being home for Christmas. Because I would go to my grandparents' house and it felt like when you came to that house, you felt like you belonged. It didn't matter what the past year had been like. It didn't matter what you were bringing in with you that particular day. This is a place for you to just be. I could sit and just kind of be for Christmas with my family. It didn't matter. It just, I belonged. And it felt good. Now, I know some people in this room this morning, you've had this experience at Christmas time. Maybe as a kid, maybe still today, it feels that kind of way to come home for Christmas and experience all that Christmas brings. But I know that some people in the room, you haven't had the same kind of experience. Maybe for you, Christmas was not something that was full of amazing memories and, and warm feelings. But instead, maybe coming home for Christmas had a different kind of feel. Maybe it was pain or anxiety. Maybe for you, home didn't feel like a place to belong, but it felt like a place that you didn't fit. 
I believe that both experiences that many of us have had in this room when it comes to coming home for Christmas, all of these experiences are valid. And they also, they teach us something this morning, I believe, about the importance of being able to remember, be reminded of, and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ right here and right now in the middle of 2020. Both experiences belong. The fact is that when we come home for Christmas, when we experience being home for Christmas, we can feel like we belong. We can feel like we're loved. There's, there's a reason why we don't feel this way sometimes in our life right now. There's a reason why sometimes we feel like there's a void within us. There's a reason sometimes our houses may feel like they're dysfunctional and broken. And that is simply because this morning we still live within a world that is full of sin, ravaged by sin. It affects everything. And maybe we don't even notice it until we come to a season like this where we see juxtaposed to one another such joyous things and at the same time such heartbreak because we live in a world that is broken. And the world that we live within actually is very similar to the world that Jesus Christ first came to. And I believe it's the very reason that he came in the first place. The book of John, one of the four gospels that tells us the story of the birth of Christ that we celebrate each and every year, has a little different flavor than the other gospel books. Because in the book of John, you don't have a story about Jesus being born in a manger. You don't have a story about shepherds in a field watching over their sheep at night. You don't have stories about wise men and things like that. But in John chapter 1, you still have the same story, but it looks a little different. John in chapter 1 speaks about a world that is shrouded in darkness, a world that feels brokenness on all places. But there's something that happens in the very beginning, and, and John calls it the true light that came into the world. He says it's the light and it's the life of all mankind. That's how he describes the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, for me, one of my favorite things to do each and every year happens like one time each and every year between the time the tree goes up and the lights go on till the time we are done with the tree in the living room. There's some time each and every year where I go and I sit in the living room when everybody else is asleep. Like everybody else is asleep, I'll wander down to the bottom of the house, turn lights off and lock doors or whatever, and I'll see in the living room with all the lights off, there's the tree and the glow of the tree, and that's the only thing in there. I'll go and just kind of sit for a second, and you can almost feel the warmth of a Christmas tree when it's all lit all by itself, right? Doesn't matter if it's blue lights, white lights, colored lights, you name it, it just feels a certain way in the room like that. I think it's the kind of thing that John is trying to capture when he talks in John chapter one about this light that came into the world, a world that is full of darkness, a world that is broken. And this light that comes into the world, he calls it the life of all humankind. That's Jesus. That's what we celebrate each and every year during this time. The author is taking a really bold move in describing this Jesus. In John chapter one, verse 14, here's how he says it. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? Grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. What do you notice about that word, word there? It's a capital W. The author is taking a bold move here by describing Jesus being born into the world and calling him the word that became flesh. It's a capital W because it's talking about somebody who pulled on flesh and became a human among us. And later on in the verse, it describes it even more by saying he was the son of the father, full of grace and truth. See, what John is writing here is he's writing about the birth of Jesus Christ coming and living among us. And he calls him the word, the word. What he means is that the, the law of God from from 
generations past, the expectation of God, the words of God that spoke all life into being, that word was not just an idea or a concept or just communication any longer. That word now had become flesh and demonstrated what God was like in our present through Jesus Christ. All that God had been trying to say from the very beginning to humankind, all that God longed for for the world was now expressed in this present of a tiny child who was born to a virgin named Mary. It's astonishing. And the writer captures this, that while all of us in the room here this morning, no matter what experience we've had in our childhood in terms of coming home for Christmas, we all long to belong We all long to be loved, to be accepted, to be healed, to experience joy, particularly in the world that we exist within right here and right now. All the things that come with coming home for Christmas, the things we should receive are the things that God offers to us. He does not stand at some distance away from us and tell us, get your stuff together, then you can come home. That's not what God does. The Bible says that he pulls on skin and the Bible says that he makes his dwelling among us. He comes to live with us full of grace and truth. It's God's way of whispering to us. Maybe even now this morning, it's time to come home. It's time to give up this broken world. Not someday when you die, but right here and right now, you can experience home and grace and truth. And his name is Jesus. They call him Emmanuel in the scriptures, which means God with us. You see, in the birth of Jesus Christ, God moved into the neighborhood. He came close. My wife and I, we recently moved with our three kids to our new house. We had lived with my parents for a few, like nine weeks for a while. And we finally got into our new home. And it's awesome. We love it because there's a little bit of space. We have some trees. My kids love going outside and riding the four-wheeler and just experiencing all the outdoors. It's, It's a really great place to be. But if I was really honest, there's a thing that I miss about our old house, and that was neighbors. Uh, I remember we had a neighbor that just recently moved in right before we left, and this family had some children. They were all girls. And these girls, when they moved in next door, they had no shame in getting on their bike and riding over to our driveway, dropping the bike, coming on the front porch, back porch, drinking Capri Suns, eating snacks with my kids. They were, they were at our house like all the time. I loved it. I'd be outside sometimes doing something and all of a sudden this little girl would walk up and she would just stand there as long as I'd allow her to and tell me every story of everything that happened at school that day. Just tell her, I'm like, oh, yeah, wow, that, I, who knew that was gonna, you know, I listened to everything she had to say to me. And they were always over at the house and my boys would go over to their house and it was this really cool thing. And the thing was, when they moved into the neighborhood, when they moved next door to us, they were not content just to sit in their yard and wave over the fence at us, you know? They weren't content to just see us kind of do our thing and they do their thing. When they moved next doors, these girls were like, listen, we want to be a part of your life. We want to get to know you. We want you to know us. And so we'll come and tell you all the stories. We'll do all the stuff. It'll be wonderful. I kind of miss it. There was something beautiful about it. And the Bible says in John chapter 114, this is exactly what happens as God pulls on skin in the incarnation, becomes Jesus Christ, walks among us. God did not stand somewhere far off and hopefully we could finally figure out how to do things right. But instead he became one of us to walk like us, talk like us, eat like us, sleep like us, live like us, and eventually to even bleed like us. This is the reason that Jesus came and he moved into the neighborhood So though we sing songs about the nativity all Christmas long, maybe we see nativity set up in our neighborhoods around us, sometimes we miss the significance of a God who loves us so much 
that he is unwilling. He is not content to sit somewhere far off. He wants to be with us, to rescue us, that we might know him and he would know us. And so Jesus coming to earth, he left his home in order to show us the way home. Jesus laid aside the splendors of heaven. He gave it all up to come to this broken world to show us how to get back home, how to be connected with God once again. This was his mission. This is why he came, and this is exactly what he did. You see, Christmas is not about trees and lights. It's not about gifts and bows. It's not about friends and family even. Christmas has always and will always be about God's invitation for us to see the great lengths that he has gone to that we might be with him right here and right now. So this morning, I don't know every person in this room. I don't know your history. I don't know your background. I don't know who you are, where you've come from. I don't know what ways maybe where you feel like you've rejected God in the past. Maybe right now you're experiencing that broken life right here and right now. I don't know where you come from, but I do know this, that God is inviting all of us in the person of Jesus to come close to him, to experience him. And all the ways that Jesus points us to the Father full of grace and truth. One of the things that I always think about is a story or a parable, as the Bible says, that he tells us in the Gospels. There's a story that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 15. In every parable, in every story, Jesus is trying to express to us this kingdom of God. This home that we are actually longing for. We may not know it, but somewhere deep inside of us, we're looking for this more, this thing. And Jesus is always trying to express it to us. This heavenly place. And this story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, oddly enough, actually takes place within an ancient Near Eastern home. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 13, to those who are listening. He says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the man divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered all the wealth away in wild living. So in this story that Jesus tells, we are introduced to a family. And this family consists of a father and two sons. And apparently, one of these sons, the younger son, is a bit greedy. He comes to his father, the Bible says, and he asks for his father's inheritance. He asks for his portion of the property that he would receive one day, but he's unwilling to wait for. Essentially, the younger brother is saying to his father, we wish you were dead. Can you just give me now what's entitled to me one day? Now, what's most shocking in this story is not the fact that the son has this audacious question of his dad, but what's most shocking is that his father gives it to him. The father divides the property and to the younger son, he gives him what he would get one day when he was gone. Now, the Bible says, as you might expect, the son who would ask this kind of question, this kind of thing of his father, he takes all that he has given and he goes and wastes it all in a distant land. It's all gone through wild living. He parties hard until there's no more. So you have two brothers who apparently are a bit dysfunctional. We'll find out more about the other brother in a bit. And we also have an incredibly generous Father. Now remember, Jesus is always trying to teach us something about this kingdom of God, this Father that we have, this home that is there for us. And the first thing we learn is this the grace of God gives us choice. The grace of God gives us choice. The Father is generous and there are no strings attached. 
Now, I don't think Jesus' point here is trying to give us some kind of new parenting style to give our children whatever they're asking for. I don't think that's the point. But what I think Jesus is trying to show us is that this heavenly father, this, this imagery given within this story is one who is so generous and he gives and he gives generously and he gives us choice in the matter. A couple of years ago, my oldest son, Eli, was making a Christmas list as kids do each and every year. And he had a pretty good list going and he wanted to finish up his list. And so one day he wrote on that list uh, that he wanted a banana and a hundred dollar bill. Like, okay, well. Ambitious, I guess. You know, a banana. We can do with that, Santa, and a hundred dollar bill. So he's testing the system a bit. So he puts these two things on the list, and so sure enough, Christmas rolls around, and he comes out to the stocking, and he cannot believe it. In the living room, old Saint Nick delivered. There is a banana in his stocking, and a crisp new hundred dollar bill, and he was going crazy. He couldn't believe it. Within twenty four hours, though, of of Christmas Day, he'd already decided how he was going to spend the hundred dollar bill that Santa had brought him. So he started telling us the things that he wanted to buy. So he said, listen, I want to buy 24 packs of dill pickle sunflower seeds. Like, wow, that's awesome. A joke book full of a thousand puns and riddles with bathroom humor, you know. A giant glass fake diamond and some silly putty that ended up on our ceiling and in our carpet for months. So as he's telling me these things, there's everything in me that wanted to intervene. Like, listen, you know, Santa, I think his goal with $100 was not for you to just buy all this stuff. Like, maybe there's, like, better things that you could spend the money on. I wanted to intervene with his desire to spend this $100 in this certain kind of way. We talked about it. We're like, let's just, let's just let him. Like, this is his. Let's let him make a decision here. So sure enough, we end up with a whole bunch of dill pickles, glass diamond, and, like I said, silly putty that ended up everywhere in the home. But there was something he could learn from this. Because we want to give him choice. You, this is yours. That's, that's what it looks like for the grace of God to be given to us. In this story, you see this father who gives the son his portion of the inheritance. The son leaves. You don't see the father chase him down. Like, listen, let's just talk about this for a bit. I don't want you to waste it. You know, it's very, very, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of stuff. The father doesn't do that. He lets him leave. He gives him choice on how he will use the grace that he's been given. And the same thing is true for us. You see, some of us in this room this morning, we've experienced such generosity and such grace from God. And this story about the generosity and the nature of God, his grace is something that we either take advantage of too often, or as Romans chapter two says, we see the kindness of God, the generosity of the father, the patience of Jesus as an invitation to repent of all of our selfish ways and all of our foolish choices and to come home. We all experience the grace of God in different kinds of ways. And sometimes this, in this incredible generosity that comes from God, we choose to use his grace in order to live our lives the way we want to live on our terms. But for some of us in the room, we see the grace of God as the very thing that draws us to himself. In either way, we have choice within it. And I know there are some maybe this morning who've experienced a life very similar to this younger brother. Maybe you've taken the grace of God. You've taken the generosity of God. Whatever he's given you, you've lived your life on your own terms for a very long time. And now you're looking around wondering, how did I get to the place that I've gotten? I feel like I've wasted it all. The good news of the story is it doesn't end with this younger brother who wastes everything in some far off land now all by himself. The Bible says that when he finds himself, there's a famine that comes in the land. And so now he's not just bad off, but now he's starving too. So he goes to work in a place that no good Jewish boy should ever be. He's on a farm, a pig farm, feeding pigs slop and food. 
And he's in such a bad place that he's actually thinking to himself, if I could just have the things that I'm giving these pigs to eat for myself, then I could fill my stomach. This kid is in a bad place and he's wasted it all. But then the Bible goes on to say this, when he finds himself in this place in Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 20, it says this, when he finally came to his senses, we need to come to our senses sometimes, don't we? He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. So this boy wonders, how did I end up in this place? How I found myself in this kind of all that I had. He thinks back to his family. He thinks back to his father and what things used to be like. And he wonders, how did I end up here? How did I end up in this kind of bad place? And I love this story. And it's heartbreaking at the same time because he realizes if I just go home, potentially, he's given up on the idea of being a son anymore. Now he says, can I just be a hired hand? Can I just have a place in the house? I don't need to be your son. And so the whole way home, he's rehearsing all the things that he's going to say. Father, please forgive me. I've sinned against you. I know I have. I've sinned against heaven. I know I have. I've hurt your heart. I've, take, I've wasted everything. Father, I know I have. And the whole way home, he rehearses and he rehearses and he rehearses his speech. But can you imagine being this boy and rounding the corner down the home farm, down the lane, when all of a sudden you notice your father on the front porch who jumps off the step and runs down the lane to meet you? I don't know what kind of family you grew up in, but if I took my dad's stuff and I wasted everything and all of a sudden he was running down the lane to meet me as I came home, that would not be a good thing. I can imagine this boy in the story is like, okay, dad, can we talk for just a second? Wait, one second. But when the father gets to him, guess what he does? He wraps his arms around him. He kisses him. He welcomes him home. The Bible says that he says, get me a robe and put it on this boy. Get me a ring and put it on his finger. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a party because my son who used to be dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now home. You see, this father who meets his son, this father is not angry. This father is not frustrated. This father did not come to lecture him or punish him or embarrass him. You see, the grace of God welcomes us home. The grace of this father welcomes his son home. This entire series, Home for Christmas, is ultimately about this. This one fact. That the reason Jesus Christ was born into a dirty manger, a dirty stable on that first Christmas, is because all of creation, all of us, everything, had experienced the grace and goodness of God. And because of sin, it was all squandered and it was all gone. But God was not content to leave it that way. We've all found ourselves far off in a distant land with nothing to show for ourselves, wondering, can I make my way back home? There's a reason that Jesus is called in the scriptures, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way back home. Don't be mistaken. This Christmas invitation that is given to us by God is for us to follow this light of life and find that our heavenly father is not angry with us. 
Our, our heavenly father is not disappointed in us. He's not frustrated with us. He's not interested in embarrassing you or punishing you. Our heavenly father loves us and he welcomes us back home. And so today, if you find yourself in a place like this younger brother wondering, how did I get here? There's a party that the father wants to throw for you. Robe on your shoulder, ring on your finger, invite everybody because my son, my daughter, who once was dead is now alive, was once lost, and now he's found. You are welcomed back home. The grace of the Father welcomes us back home. Many years ago, there was a story about a young man who was always at odds with his father, always fighting, always at odds, and one day he decided to leave home. And so he did, and he didn't say goodbye, he just left. And he cut off contact with his dad completely, never, never spoke to him for years. Continued to write letters to his mother, they would write back and forth from time to time. And one Christmas, this boy decided he was ready to go back home. He wanted to come home for Christmas, so he wrote his mother, and his mother said, yes, you should, come back home. And the boy said, I, I don't think I can unless I know Dad's forgiven me. I don't think he can forgive me, and so I can't come back home. And they wrote back letters back and forth until eventually time was running out, and the mother said, listen, I will talk to your dad. Okay, just come home. So when you get on the train, when you're on the way back home, when the track passes our backyard, the big tree in the backyard by the railroad tracks, if your father forgives you, I'm going to put a, a white ribbon. I'm going to tie it in the tree. So on your way home, if you see that ribbon, get off at the station and come home. And if you don't, you don't have to stop. So this boy got on the train and was headed back, hopeful in his heart, but terrified at the same time. He had a friend with him on the train. He said to his friend, listen, I don't know that I can look out the window and see this tree as we pass by. Would you mind switching spots with me? And would you just tell me what's on the tree? Would you just tell me what you see? And so they switched spots and the, the friend sat next to the window and they continued on. And all of a sudden the friend said, listen, I see the tree, the one in the backyard by the railroad tracks. I can see it. And the son said, well, what do you see? Is there, is there a white ribbon in the tree? And the friend was quiet for a moment, and then he kind of leaned over and whispered to him, there is a white ribbon on every limb of that tree. You should go home. You're welcomed home. This morning, this grace of God, this forgiveness of God is the very thing that has been offered to every single one of us. It's an opportunity for a fresh start. The good news is this, we don't get what we deserve. And at the same time, we do get what we don't deserve. It's called grace. It's what Jesus talks about within the story. And it's the very thing that he came here to this earth to offer to us. To come home and experience the love of the Father. Now in this parable, there's not everyone in the story who's excited about the younger brother coming home. Because there's another brother, the older brother in the story. And this older brother is the one who's always done everything right. He stayed home with the father the entire time. He never squandered and wasted the dad's money or his time. He never did any of this. And the Bible says when this party is going down, there's dancing and there's singing and there's food and there's friends and fellowship. This older brother is out in the field where he thought he should have been working still. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 15 when he comes back. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The man said, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's, he's back home safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered to his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Who doesn't love a young goat to celebrate with your friends? But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. But my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours who was dead is now alive. He was once lost and now he's found. So this older brother who's always stuck around, always listened to whatever the father asked, always did the right things. He hears this music, this dancing, this celebration. He finds out the hoopla is all over his younger brother who taken stuff from the family, who had wasted everything. And now this reprobate has come home. And he is ticked. I mean, you can hear it in his voice as he talks to his father. There's something that happens as his father answers him. And it's revealed to us this, that the grace of God is scandalous. The grace and generosity of the father is scandalous. The older brother, he's offended. He cannot believe that the father would be generous to the boy in the beginning of the story and yet welcome him back after it's all gone. You see, the older brother, he's the one who's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. That's the older brother in this story. And he's making sure that everything is fair. And he can't believe that his father would take the worst kid in the world and fill his stockings with goodies. That's exactly what's taking place. And the older brother can't stand it. And every Christmas, if you're a parent like me, you know, sometimes when Christmas comes around, we start doing this thing where we're buying gifts, we're excited about all this stuff, and you know, we, we keep a list of all of it, right? So we spent this much money on, on this child, and so we gotta make sure that we spend money on this child. We gotta keep things fair, and so we're over 53 cents on this kid, so a pack of gum should level things out, everything that we could. Nobody asks questions, everything we find. And sometimes that's our mentality when it comes to this Christmas thing. Let's make sure everything's fair. You know, in the West especially, we're, we are obsessed with fairness, Is it fair? The point of this story is that Jesus has no concern with being fair. And here's why. God is not concerned with being fair. God is concerned with being more than fair. Because grace is not about fairness. Grace is about love. And so maybe one person needs more grace than the other. God does not care. It's grace for everyone. It is love for everyone. It is welcome home to everyone. Now, for some of us, we get frustrated with like this. I believe in this story, we are all one of two people. Either we're the younger brother who takes all that God has given us, we waste it. We squander, we party hard till it's all gone. And oftentimes we never come home because we're afraid of what the father will do. Or we're the older brother who always does the right thing. We're at church every single Sunday, even during the pandemic. We do everything we're supposed to do. And yet here we are and we get frustrated when we feel like God is still generous to someone else who in our eyes does not deserve it. You know, this story should be scandalous to us. The grace of God should offend us a little. Because if it doesn't, maybe we don't understand the significance of the story that Jesus tells. Of this amazing homecoming this amazing greeting and the generosity of a father over and over and over again. This older brother, he wants fairness. He doesn't think it's fair. At the end of the story, that's how it ends. The boy says to his dad, listen, you never even gave us a goat for me to celebrate with my friends. But listen to what the father says. Everything I have is yours. You've been with me the whole time. It's all always been yours. 
And that's it. The story doesn't go anywhere from there. You would think that maybe as the father says this, pleads with the older son, the older son's like, gee whiz, you're right, dad. Let's go in and do the electric slide. We'll celebrate. That's not what happens. There's, there's no response from the older brother. It's as if Jesus is telling this story so his first listeners and, our, and the listeners today will be able to hear this and decide, which son am I? Am I the one who's still at a far off distant land wondering if I can come home? Or am I one who sees the generosity of God, the graciousness of God as something that is so offensive and it should only be given out to people that I deem worthy? Either way, we've missed out on what it means to come home and experience the love and the grace of God. What if the gift this season may just be our realization, our waking up to the fact that we are broken and we live in a broken world? And yet we have a father who is so incredibly generous and gracious that it might just change our lives. It's time to come home for Christmas. Would you join me? Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you this morning for the gift of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. We're thankful that you didn't stand somewhere far off and shouted us to get our stuff together before we could be with you, but instead you came to us full of grace, full of truth. I pray this morning, God, for any of us in this room today who find ourselves in one place or the other, squandered everything in a far off distant land, wondering how we got here, I pray you'd help us to see that you invite us home. You will meet us in the driveway. Open arms. And for those of us today, God, who feel like we've done everything right and we're so quick to be the ones to judge others for the grace and the mercy that we feel like God should give out, forgive us, God. Help us to see the beauty of this open invitation to come home this holiday season. We are thankful for Christmas. We are thankful for Jesus. We ask that today, God, as we open our eyes and our hearts to this truth, that you would change our lives and make us generous and gracious people as well. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.